Welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. This is our final episode of our Mass yeah. Effect analysis. Next week, we're doing Final Fantasy Tactics. That was the winner of the vote. That's a good game. Final Fantasy X can't catch a break. It gets defeated every time. <laughs> That's so funny, because I'd say on aggregate, it's more people's favorite Final Fantasy that follow us. Apparently. I have not seen this myself. Apparently, yeah. there was a vote recently in uh-huh. Japan for like Japan's favorite Final Fantasy title in 10 won. Yeah. And I've figured 10 is it's up maybe there, yeah. aside from 7 got to be the most sure. popular Final Fantasy generally among fans. I would have assumed that. Yeah. But it can't win with us. <laughs> it can't win. So strange, so strange. Uh, yeah, you guys voted on Final Fantasy Tactics. I'm excited to get started on yeah, that. Yeah, I haven't played that game in like 20 years. Um, it's. I'm going to make a how to get started playing Final Fantasy Tactics video for the oh, channel. Okay. Because it's not a few people that I've known. More than a mm. few people <laughs> who have really struggled with the game. Oh, either okay. to finish it because they get stuck at a certain point mm-hmm. or like the first few missions are pretty tough or can be depending on okay. your level of familiarity with tactical RPGs and just your luck of the draw with certain hidden mechanics that the game does not inform you make a difference. <laughs> no, of course. Um, so I'm going to try to upload that uh, early next week, probably before this episode goes up, or maybe right after, depending on what time I have, so that people who want to join us on the Final Fantasy Tactics playthrough will hopefully have an easier time if it's your first time playing the game. So you can look forward to that as a video on the channel. But anyways, um, I didn't take very many notes for this final episode of Mass Effect. It's like it's it's a it's a really nice sort of exciting conclusion to it's the story. It's very cool. It's very good. It just there's not much to I guess expand on. It's just mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. So, we're just going to kind of do our summary and kind of wrap up our thoughts on it and then we'll turn to some comments from YouTube. A couple of them in particular I thought were really good um, to kind of like expand on some of our thoughts from earlier in the podcast but outside of that i think that's going to be it so cool this will probably be a little shorter i'm I'm thinking maybe the hour 15 range or something like that well we'll see but um we've got a podcast to film right on the back of this for our patreon uh and and subscribe star people yeah exclusive so if you guys aren't aware those who support us on Patreon at any level, $1 or whatever, it doesn't matter, you mm-hmm. get an extra podcast every month where we yeah. answer questions directly from, from them. So we're going to be filming that on the back of this. If you're interested in seeing those, there's already like 14 episodes backlogged that you can go check out. So um, mm-hmm. take a look at our Patreon and subscribe store if you're interested in those. Okay. We left off right after we were Vermeer. Grounded, right? Yeah. And, and we go back to the Citadel thinking, oh, finally, the Council's mm-hmm. decided to do something. Yes. And what they decided to do was not enough. We've put, right. like, a bunch of ships at all the different relays so yep, that we're really well defended. Yep. And he's like, no, we got to go to the conduit. <laughs> that's where Saren's going. Obviously, that's important. Well, that's in the... That's in the um, well, what do they call it? The uh, Not the out of control. The terminus. The terminus system. Yeah, the terminus. Yeah. We can't do that. We'd risk a yeah. war. Just let me go. 
The, it's no. a cloaked ship for a reason. The the ship is like a ghost, right? Nobody yeah. can see it. He says on radar. says something like, "I can be discreet." Yeah. And the Turian colony or um, uh, council member is like, "You detonated a nuke on Ilos, <laughs> or not on Ilos, on uh, Vermeer." Vermeer. That wasn't discreet. Right. No thanks. Yeah, like not just any nuke. It was huge, <laughs> huge, huge, huge. So they don't want you to do anything. And er, and Udina's on their side now, because he's playing politics, and so they they can see that you're not going to give up on the idea. They ground the mm. uh, the Normandy there on the Citadel, and you're stuck. Then you so, have you have the moment, right? There's the moment mm-hmm. when you're on the ship and you're like sitting down, and I'm I I believe that the the character that approaches you is different depending depending on your, on your choice your choices, yeah. So for me, it was Liara shows up and she's like, "Hey, are you okay?" Mm-hmm. And we're we're like having a hard time, but she talks us into, you know, continuing on and pushing through and not giving up, mm-hmm. which is pretty great. It's yeah. pretty fun. It encourages you. Yeah, and so um, we come up with this killer plan. So we're talking to like Captain Anderson, and Anderson's like, "Okay, dude, look." I'm gonna go punch the guy in the face <laughs> who runs the the Udina, yeah. Yeah, well the ambassador, right? I'm gonna go punch him in the face and I'm gonna like overwrite his computer and I'm gonna let you guys go, but it'll only work for like a minute before they figure it out and shut everything down again. Yeah. So we formulate this plan with him. And I can't remember where he was. Was he at the casino? He was or at the like Flex, um, so he's at a different bar. There's two bars. There's okay, the bar. Cora's den and then there's Flex. Yeah, which is where you can gamble, right? Is yes. that, that place? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we get with him, we figure out exactly, like, the whole plan, right? And we're kind of talking him out of it. We're like, hey, I don't know if that's, like, the best idea. Did you, did you like, yes. do it did a different way? Yes. You so, did, okay. So, well, there's kind of two choices here. And I was trying to, as best I could, because mm. I did finish my Renegade playthrough. I remember at the beginning of this, oh, I was yeah. going to do four playthroughs or whatever. I ended up doing two... In like three quarters. Okay. <laughs> I did not, so almost three. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I got almost to the end, basically to this part, the Citadel part, oh, okay. with my female shepherd run. Yeah. But I didn't get past that. But I just today finished my male renegade run. And so I tried my best to choose different things just to see how it plays differently. Just to see what happens, yeah. For instance, I saved the council on one. I let the council oh, die on the other. here at the end. Okay. Right. So uh-huh. we'll talk about that in a minute. But f- for this particular for this particular choice, yeah, with with Anderson, he says he can either go into Citadel control, yes, and try to like get you loose so you can get out, or he can go override through uh, Ambassador Udina's computer. Mm. The Paragon option, the upward option, is through Udina, which seems to be yes. a less risky, I mean, it's still horribly risky for his career, obviously. Well, very much so, yeah. But less risky than like going through Citadel security and, you know, actually into the con- the control room of the Citadel itself. Yeah, probably With a bunch of people, people involved, yeah. Right. That's like the, the Renegade option. Hmm. I never did the Renegade option for this choice because oh, I okay. like watching him punch Udina I in know, the face. I know, just like. <laughs> I just really, it's very satisfying to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it plays out the other way. And I, after I made the choice, I was like, dang it, I should have just done it just for the sake of talking about it on the podcast. Yeah. But I just, it was just almost like, 
I just flicked up because I just really wanted to see if it's going <laughs> to get punched in the face again. But that's great. I assume I, I mean obviously either way, you're going to get off the citadel. Um, yeah. But at least, well, actually, I guess I can look that I up. Bet right you now. the results about the same. Yeah, let's see. If, let's see if anything happens to Anderson. Sir, this is a restricted area. Sir, you can't be up here. <laughs> Sick. What beast. He pushed him? He just pushed him? Oh, wait. There's only one guy. Oh, wait. This is like... This is not where I thought it was. Is this the main place with the council or something? Freeze. No, it looks like... It looks... Now. It looks like the same... Yeah, that's the staircase going up to the council. To where no, to where the where your ship is stationed at. Like oh, it, right there. Like um, where they dock. This looks oh, like okay. a dock almost. Hmm. Oh, they kill him. See, this is what I was wondering. I wondered if he died doing it this way. So Udina has to be. Oh, they shot him. Maybe he's not dead. Huh. This. Let's go. Get us out of here, Joker. Now. Wow, she's so much better than him. <laughs> voice actress. <laughs> she's so much better. Okay, you get away, but what happens to him? Does he. Does he die? Uh. I like don't he know. He was fetching shot in the back. <laughs> If Anderson is shot, there is no lasting effect. Okay, so he's still fine. So he's still fine either way. So it plays out more or less the same. It's just... Okay. So that's good to know. Okay. So, yeah, there's... there's the, it, it's not necessarily consequential either way he goes. But he does get shot in the back, I guess, <laughs> if you send him to Citadel Control. But, anyways, in, in, cool. any, in any case... Uh, the Normandy is able to undock and leave. Yeah. And um, hits the, I think the Mew relay, they call it, and goes to Ilos. Um, so there's a cutscene that plays here that I found kind of funny a little bit. It feels like they're trying to pass dialogue around to a lot of the characters to yeah. like build some urgency. Like, oh, this is crazy. The situation's intense. Because yeah. you have like, um, even like Presley, Na the navigator of the ship mm -hmm. is, is yeah. on the bridge. And he's basically saying, because um, when you jump, there's like a whole armada of Geth ships out there. But the Normandy's stealth systems are engaged, so they can't see you yeah. unless you were to get close enough for a visual. So it's like, we can get in there, but the planet, there's not like, in the area you're going to, there's not yeah. like a long enough landing strip. Yeah, he to needed, like what did he say, 100? Meters, meters. Or something? yeah. And it's like the, the best I can get you is 20. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's suicide, Ashley yes. says. Like, we can't do that. But, she, but the funny part is she starts telling him, she starts like giving commands, like, find us another. And it's kind of like, what are you doing? <laughs> Shepard should be the one commanding that is here. She, her personality. <laughs> and yeah. they're all kind of being like, no, blah, blah, blah. They're all arguing back and forth about what to do. But then Joker says, like, no, I can do that. Like, I can make that work. Yes, yeah. I can I can get you in. And it, it's it's trying to pretty show. cool, actually. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. Because at first I didn't understand it. I was like, do you need to land the whole thing, or are they just going to drop off the your little buggy? The Mako, yeah, the Mako. Um, and I guess it was the second, but yeah. not the way that I thought, right? Yeah. 
like the ship, and it's so cool because you've got Saren, he's walking in with all the Gath, and the they got this big like bunker they're going into, and right before he gets inside, he turns around, and the Normandy just like flies in there, and then lets go of the, the Mako, like, and almost like lobs it, almost like throws it from its entrance, <laughs> yeah. and we land like right there, like right, right at, the, at the door as it's closing. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. Now we couldn't get in. It would have been cooler if we made it in. If it was just like three seconds earlier, yes. We in. <laughs> um, but yeah, that scene is actually very, very well done, and it's a little bit surprising as to exactly what they were trying to do and why it was going to be so difficult. Yeah. And as soon as you see the execution, you're like, oh, I get why that was yeah, hard. That was crazy. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Now. <laughs> it's freaking crazy, right? Yeah. Very, very calculated drop and very little space to stop yeah. with its momentum going. But they're able to. But then, now they got to open that big blast door that yeah, he yeah. went through. And so you kind of have to backtrack a little bit into... A control room where you'll be able. I to love open their. That I door. love their reasoning for this. They're like, well, they could. O- they found a way to open it, so we can open it too. Now, my initial thinking is like, what? That makes no sense, right? But that thing wasn't built by them. That thing was built yeah. by its Prothean ruins, right? Right, right. And so, understanding that the Geth and Saren didn't build this, they just found it. Like, it actually does make sense that oh, you can just go somewhere else and find the control panel to open it the same way yeah. that they did. Those people didn't make it, they're not inside, they didn't lock us out. It was likely shut when they showed up too. They yeah. needed to find a way to open it themselves. Yeah. So we can also. I yeah. actually really like the way that, like that actually makes sense. It shouldn't make sense, but it does. Yeah. With um, the, just the idea of Prothean ruins and everything. This city, the history of this city is actually really cool. Yes. In the golden age of the Protheans, Ilos yeah. was a verdant world dotted with the spires and arches of magnificent cities. Even casual observation shows this is no longer the case. Ilos has been devastated by means unknown. Its entire surface changed to the color of rust. The atmosphere shows heightened levels of oxygen. Wildfires, presumably ignited by lightning strikes, can be seen burning on the dark side. This indicates that most, if not all, uh, respirating animal life forms have died off. Surface gravity is a comfortable 1.17 standard G's. The Codex entry says, Like the ancient human city of Troy, Ilos is a world known only through second-hand sources. References to Ilos have been found at several other Prothean ruins, though direct study of the world is unlikely to occur, probably because it's in the uh, Terminus systems anyways. Yes, yeah. Ilos lies in a remote area of the Terminus systems only accessible by the legendary Mu Relay. 4,000 years ago, the Mu Relay was knocked out of position by a supernova and lost. Since then, Ilos and its cluster have been inaccessible. Well, I guess that would be the reason why, too. Occasionally, a university will organize an expedition to chart a route to Ilos using conventional FTL drive. These never get beyond the planning stages due to the distance and danger. The journey could take years or decades, passing through the hostile Terminus systems and dozens of unexplored systems. But what you discover about what they were doing on Ilos is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So you kind of make your way back to the control room where you can open that door. Yeah, and there's, there's a virtual intel. Yeah. Oh no, there's a beacon. There's like a, sin- a signal. Yeah, and it's, First. It's, it's almost like a message. That's yeah. playing. And, and the, and the party members who are with you, um, 
comment on how this is probably the Prothean language. Yeah, you and know, they can't like understand. They it. can't understand it, but Shepard can. Yeah, yeah. Because he's had not only the beacons he's interacted with, but also the cipher. The cipher, yeah. And so he can actually understand uh -huh. some of the words, and it's too damaged to really like be useful to your current situation. But he's saying this is some kind of warning against the Reaper invasion or something right, like yeah. that. And they're basically saying there's nothing we can do. Yeah. Like, they're, it's over. Yeah, like, yeah, it's it's totally hopeless. Yeah. So you get that door open and you go through and you're kind of traveling through these, there's just these giant walls and there's kind of like a, a path that you're driving down mm -hmm. and there's just all of these, like, pods kind of yeah. sticking out of the walls. My guess is, once upon a time, there were many, 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 many pods lining the entire yeah. wall all the way down. Yeah. But there's just like a few sticking out. Yeah. And so your, your teammates kind of comment on it and it's like, these look like stasis pods yeah, or, or yeah. cryopods of some kind. And you're driving down and you come against a barrier that stops you. It's kind of cool because it's like, oh, what is this? But then yeah, you turn like the camera around and it's like one appeared behind you too. <laughs> so yeah. you're like, you're basically trapped in this little spot. It's like, uh-oh, we walked into a trap. And it's like, no, I don't think that's that, that Saren did this. And the reason you know that's true is because the music that's playing. Oh, it's, it's so serene. I took a note about this. <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah. Oh, so, I can't remember. But yeah, love the music. It, it's just the, it's basically, it's the song, right? It's yeah. the song. But you're going through this like horribly dark place and that music's <laughs> playing and it's like, I don't know, it just felt really cool. It felt kind of off offsetting. Yeah, the, the title of the track is called Vigil, which is the mm. name of the- Oh, the VI. The VI system. Yeah. Um, and it's also the, the music that plays on the title screen of the game, yep. on the start screen. Um, my favorite track from the game, I really, really love it. Yeah. It's so great. you get out and you kind of go into the nearby room and Vigil is there and he's been monitoring your communication and can now speak to you in your yeah. language. Which I didn't find possible, but that's fine. <laughs> Whatever. That's how they did it in the game. I, it, I, it would have been cooler, I feel like, had uh, Shepard been able to communicate in Prothean. Yeah, that would have been it. cooler. That would have been, yeah. That they, would have been way cooler. Why didn't cooler they just do me. that? I don't know. Because, because they, wanted the, they wanted the squad mates to be able to comment, but their comments to I'll me. I'll give that up. I'm okay with their comments that one. to me are really dumb, anyways. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm okay with losing their commentary. In this particular conversation, I felt like they were. It would have been way, way cooler mm. had Shepard been the only one who could talk to Vigil. Yeah. And he knows Prothean now. That would have been really sweet. That would have been cooler. And um, it would have kind of cemented this entire idea that his, his interaction with the Beacons, like, like installed, like, a ton of knowledge into his mind and now he's yeah, able yeah. to make sense of it. Because he doesn't even need, he doesn't even know the knowledge that's there. Things will yeah. just make sense to him. Yeah. He'll just like innately understand it. Exactly. But that VI uses words that they never used, you know, and it's yeah, like, how do, yeah. it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. It would have been way cooler if he was just speaking it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But, but the scene is cool nonetheless. The, the scene is very still very cool. good. It's very good. And this is another example where I feel like this, the, the, I guess the way it lands or comes across mm. can be very different depending on if you're kind of going in the upper Paragon direction oh, or the huh, Renegade direction. But okay. this has been the first, not the first. Okay, sorry, I forgot to go over this. I did my Renegade playthrough. I finished it. And I've, I've, I'm changing my tone on how I feel about it. 
because I did kind of that balanced more yeah, like yeah. 75 or 60 40 or right. something like that where I kind of went both ways. I ended up with kind of a ton of Paragon points still. Mm -hmm. I had about half of that Paragon meter filled up nice. and maybe about 70-ish percent of Renegade filled up. So mm. I didn't get as many Renegade points as I could have, but I still had enough to save Rex, which is like the most yeah. important thing, really. Sure. It's like the one thing you really need to do yeah, yeah. <laughs> with this Paragon Renegade thing. Outside of that, who cares? Okay. But, um, but anyways, I liked the balance. Like at points where it made sense, where you're dealing with your squad mates or a superior officer or whatever, something that's not threatening to you, to not like be aggressive and like just confrontational all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are certain moments where that makes sense and certain moments where it doesn't. And it, it landed completely different w with me through the rest of the playthrough doing a more renegade path. So I really like the renegade path now. Hmm. And I really liked it particularly in this conversation because the Paragon options are just irrational because they're like trying to argue with a computer yeah, about its true. choices of who yeah, it yeah. saved. And I not. remember that when it, when it comes to the point <laughs> where the computer says, hey, we, in order to conserve energy, we had to choose, select who lives and dies yes. amongst the cryostasis yes. people. I began to disable the life support of non-essential personnel. First support staff, then security. One by one, their pods were shut down to conserve energy. Eventually, only the stasis pods of the top scientists remained active. Even these were in danger of failing when the Reapers finally retreated back through the Citadel relay. There were hundreds of stasis pods out there. You just shut them down? You killed them? You were programmed to protect them, not kill them. This outcome was not completely unforeseen. My actions were a result of contingency programming entered on my creation. I bet they didn't tell the non-essential staff about this contingency. The, all three options were basically something along the lines of, it's our judgment on, on How his could you do that? morality. Exactly. It's and a it's computer. Like, it was programmed to do this it's, <laughs> by the Protheans themselves. It's like if you um, <laughs> go to Google and you click through to um, a page about something and you're arguing with your computer about what it, the info it presents it's like, to you. what the freak are you doing? He was just saying, that was my protocol. I was literally programmed to do that in case it happened. And he's like, well, I bet you the workers didn't know. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> so dumb. Yeah, he doesn't it's so care. so dumb. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's possible maybe they were more talking to each other about that. Like, oh, yeah. dude, that screwed up. But it didn't come across that way at all. No. They it, were like telling it him. It felt like they were They like, were casting <laughs> judgment. <laughs> Freaking like moral grandstanding yes. on this computer. I would never do that. It's just like, so oh my, that part yeah, of the ridiculous. scene I didn't like. Of and course. I feel like you could have skipped that Yeah, had you just had uh, Shepard talking to it and not your squad mates commenting. Yes, yes. But or the, as, as the, a renegade, aside, the renegade options are not aggressive and confrontational. They're understanding yeah. of the necessity of the ex of the extreme circumstances in which the pro this was like Good. total genocide here. Right. Obviously, very difficult decisions had to be made about who to preserve of the very very last of their people. 
It's like if it doesn't pick and choose who dies, they, they all, all die. die. And it's obvious. And, and especially obvious. at this point in the game where it's like we've had to make these ethical decisions multiple times in this game. Yes. It just it felt like a lack of character development to come to this moment and be like, well, you should have saved everybody. And it's like we've had we've made the Kaiden's dead. Kaiden yes. or well, depending on or who Ashley. you did. Yeah. Kaiden's dead because of a choice you made. Yeah. You don't then go to this scene and reverse your character progression and be like, oh, if you can't save everybody, then you shouldn't save anybody. <laughs> and it's like you are you just did that. I know. And well not the yeah, in the previous mission. You I just know. made that decision. And for anybody to even it's it's a weird thing. And I'm I'm sure that at some point there were probably I would guess there are different writers that wrote the different scenarios for the games, right? Yeah, I think. But still, yeah. the over the the main writer, I can't remember, Cass Carpition. Carpition. Drew Carpition. I feel like that's a little bit of an oversight on his part in terms yeah. of character development, and to to make everything be a little bit more cohesive. But yeah, it's it's like there's there's two fronts on which this doesn't make sense. One, it's it's just a a like really really stupid oversight of. The extreme circumstances. Yeah. Not recognizing that if you don't pick and choose who lives, then everyone dies. It, it's, it's so obvious. I mean, it's, it's just so blatantly obvious. obvious. It's so obvious. Secondly, he said, we're running out of energy. If you wanted to have this moral mm-hmm. conversation with someone, mm-hmm. pick not a computer. Pick <laughs> <laughs> somebody <laughs> somebody who could actually like process exactly. what you're saying and like maybe exactly. be persuaded. Yeah. It's just really dumb. Absolutely. But, anyways. Absolutely. The rest of the scene's awesome. They're very good. Vigil, I like the voice actor a lot, and he explains mm-hmm. a, a lot of things here that really put it together. And that yeah. ma- a couple of really big payoffs from way early in the game from the very first time you go to the Citadel. So he explains the Keepers. The Keepers yes, yes. were Which aliens. I had intuited by this point. Like, yeah. those mysterious things have been here for forever. But he says that it's possible that they were the very first... Yeah, civilization biotic, that was... Or, um, um, yeah. Reaped that by reaped. the Reapers. So I guess the Reapers <laughs> would have been first. Harvest is a better word by the so Reapers. The Reapers, likely, if they're at some type of AI, the likelihood, in my opinion, knowing nothing about the game or any of the other games, but just thinking somebody made them and then they harvested the people that made them first. Yes. Then the next cycle would have come around and that's where the Keepers showed up. Unless yeah. the Keepers are the ones that made the Reapers, I doubt that. Um, but the reapers or the keepers tended to be more obedient. They're easier yeah. to train. They're mm-hmm. more subservient, and so I guess they wiped out ninety nine percent of them, but kept a small handful Who to like stick around and they, they brainwashed them and all that. Basically, left behind just for the purpose, yeah, because they're indoctrinated yeah. and being controlled by the citadel itself. So, um, basically, they keep it operating and allow for. This cycle to continue. Yeah. Um, so if yeah. if Saren had saved people to become slaves to continue living, mm-hmm. right? Whatever level of living that is, the end would be that they would be doing these slaves would be doing the work to help the reapers continue yes. to reap civilizations yes. forever. Yes. They would have been That's so bad. <laughs> similar That's so a bad. similar role to whatever the keepers so, are doing. So if Saren's thinking, oh, let me just follow this logic real quick, real quick. Because <laughs> I, I, I like doing this stuff. Okay, so Saren is like, let's say there's a trillion life forms on the planet, and he's like, well, we're going to save uh, a million. That's like 0.01%, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I saved a million. That's great. That's great. But 
if all of life gets wiped out, then that's one trillion people dead. But if Saren's plan works, then that's only 9.999900 billion people dead, right? Uh, but if these one million people that are able to live as slaves continue on, and then they help the reapers to continue reaping people, then the number of suffering <clears throat> peoples is way now higher. way beyond a trillion. So he actually, it's a net negative with Saren's idea, generally speaking, anyways. It's like, yeah, you can live, but then the number of people you saved, well, the number of people you had to kill will continually diminish the number of people you saved yes. because it'll keep growing. The fraction keeps going. It'll get into the hundreds of trillions. The, and the, you, it's all because you saved these people because you didn't want these trillions to die. Yes. That hundreds of trillions ended up dying yes. anyways. But the problem with Saren's logic is that he's indoctrinated himself. Yes, of course. So he's not really in his right mind, right. and he's not really making these decisions anyways. In terms of the story, yes, but in terms of the philosophical conundrum, the sure, ethical yes. conundrum that they're trying to present, that in it, throughout history there have been many people who have been like, oh, yes. live as slaves and at least you're alive, right? Yes. Um, this is more uh, addressing that specifically. Yes, and, uh, but last time you had asked me, why does Sovereign even need Saren or the Geth or whatever in yes. the first place. Yeah, yeah. Why did, this is where it this kind of comes together, because the Protheans were able to save a very few mm. of their scientists yeah, to like, reawaken after yeah. the Reapers went back into dark space. So what happens is they come in, they harvest a civilization, then they go back. They use the the citadel itself, which is a, a mass relay yeah, yeah. that connects to dark space outside of the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. They all go back out there and they hibernate. They like shut down mm -hmm. into a state in which they would be vulnerable otherwise. But they conserve yeah. energy this way, mm -hmm. and they just sleep for tens of thousands of years. Yeah. And then they leave one Reaper Sentinel in the galaxy to awaken every once in a while and check on things. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as it sees, okay, the time is now, it sends a signal to the keepers on the Citadel to open the relay and bring them back in to right. start the invasion. Yeah. The problem is they missed the last few Protheans on Ilos. Mm -hmm. The Reapers went back into dark space and Ilos was able to stay remote and hidden. Because of the VI. The VI didn't awaken anybody until right. the Reapers were gone. Right. Yeah. And so it woke up a few of the Prothean scientists mm. who had just barely unlocked the secret behind mass relays. Oh, nice. And they built one that they called the conduit. Mm. But it was only a one-way relay. They couldn't come back come to Ilos through it. They could only get to the Citadel. Mm. So that big monument, mass relay monument mm -hmm. on the Citadel was the other side of the conduit. Oh. So they used that to go to the Citadel oh, and arrived and all the keepers are there doing their thing and they were able to study them just enough to learn that they were being controlled by a signal from the Citadel. They severed that. Yes. So that when they Sovereign the system, yeah. yeah, when Sovereign signaled the keepers this time, they didn't respond. Mm. So Sovereign was screwed because yeah. he's by himself. Yep. And he's like, uh-oh, I can't signal my Reaper brethren right. to come through the relay because the keepers aren't responding. And if he just to go out there, it would take him like yeah. a million years to, to go and, at normal speed to go get his Reapers. And one Reaper 
is not strong enough to fight the entire armada of the Asari and the Turians and whoever yes. are at the Citadel. Yeah. So he can't attack the Citadel himself. So it had to indoctrinate Saren, right. who recruited a Geth army, in order to find the conduit, which would allow them to, buy, to, get, th to get past the, the defenses that are constantly you know, monitoring the Citadel. Yeah. To get straight there and signal the Reapers to come through. They open the relay and, and signal the Reapers to come through. So that's the plan. That's why they were searching for the conduit in the first place. Was so that uh, uh, Sovereign and Saren and a, a Geth force could get on the Citadel without having to do a full-on assault of the Citadel and uh, call the Reapers through. So this is all the information that Vigil gives to you. And, um, well, I love because you're, you're kind of hearing some of the messages um, as you're going throughout. You hear the messages of the, not the relays, whatever, just the, what's the word for them? The, pro, the beacons? Oh, the right? beacons, yeah. And um, you, you're getting a lot of insight as to exactly what happened and how it happened through that and with the VI. And it's really cool when movies and games do this. You, you learn about the past, you learn about what happened in the past mm -hmm. and how it's happening again, yeah. right? And you get to hear the people saying, oh my gosh, the Citadel's down, we've lost it, it's over, we're done, we can't contact Citadel, like they're coming, it's over, they're coming, right? And then we see a Reaper attacking the Citadel but in yes. current times, right? Yes. But understanding within the context of this happened a long time ago and it destroyed everything. Yeah. And it was crazy and it attacked the Citadel and everyone was freaking out. But then, then you actually see it in your time, what it would have been like, basically. Yeah. I really like it when, uh, when games can pull something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, it kind of just like, it completes everything, it brings it together, it kind of pays off some of those early setups. Mm -hmm. uh, it signals the urgency of the mission, what Sovereign's really after. The fact that Sovereign isn't as infinite and yes. um, all-powerful as it claimed to be when yes. it spoke to you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, and that there is a chance. Like mm. the Protheans, despite their failure otherwise, which was not their fault, they just followed the path that they were sent on. Right. They were able to give some hope to whatever civilization came after them because they yeah. were able to study the Keepers enough yeah to like sever their connection with the Citadel enough to where Sovereign couldn't keep the cycle going when the time came and now it's a little desperate. Well that's what Vigil even mentions because somebody, somebody in the party, I can't remember who it was, or maybe it was Vigil himself, somebody mentions, yeah well too bad your plan didn't work because the Protheans are all dead. And he says, yeah but you're here. Yeah. Like, I think that the plan actually worked fair, well enough considering you're here because this was a one in a million shot, yeah. right? This was not gonna work. And all of a sudden, you show up right as Saren shows up. Like, I, I think the plan technically did work. Yeah, I think he mentioned something like, this was one of however many outcomes mm. that we uh, foresaw could happen or whatever. Yeah. So obviously they knew, okay, we're not going to live through this. What are all the possible ways that this mm -hmm. could play out? Let's try to make as many contingencies as we can. And this happened to be the one that came through. Because he had spoken right. with Saren before that. And he was like, Saren was indoctrinated. So we obviously didn't tell Saren all the stuff he told us. Right. But once he was able to interact with us, it was like, okay, you're not indoctrinated. Yeah, you're not like him. Maybe there is a shot. And so he, he gives you all this information. He also <laughs> gives us like a, a little hacking tool that we can hack the Citadel with. Like yes. a little, I want to say a disc, but it was like just a, a, like a, a, a thing, data a disc. device. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but that um, device, I'm, I'm a little confused by it because the scientists had basically done this thing with the Citadel where they severed the connection and they were able to keep the Reapers from making contact in the future. But um, he gives us a device to basically do that again. Mm-hmm. Is it the same thing again? No, or is it I think a new it's just. I think doing? it's just. Um, is this like new? Because Saren begins activating the relay. I think what we do is just go shut it off. We oh shut it uh, off so completely. That the, so that the the mass or so that the citadel does not bring the reapers through. Okay. Okay. And locks them in dark space. Uh, but the citadel <clears throat> already couldn't bring the reapers through. It could. It was capable. It wasn't the the the, the connection that was severed was not its potential as a mass relay, it was just how the the keepers responded to oh, Sovereign. Oh, more to the keepers. When Sovereign told them, okay, open ah, it. Ah, so it was the keepers. The okay. keepers didn't that makes sense. respond to So the relay can work, but the keepers, yes, are their, not their activating connection was it. severed. Okay. They were supposed to be the ones to activate the mass relay. Right, yeah, yeah. And they didn't do it when he told them to. Yeah. So, and they, they mentioned something mm. about how you know, it, it might not be like the most ideal thing for the Reapers to rely on organic species like this. Yeah. Maybe the Geth would be like the replacement of the Keepers mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, I remember that being brought up. Um, They'd be but, more reliable. Yeah, so that this hiccup doesn't like happen again. Yeah. But <clears throat> anyways, now we got to rush to the conduit and get onto the Citadel and stop Saren from activating the I machine. love it. As soon as we like, we get in our car and we're driving back towards and we can see the conduit in the distance and we're like, sick, that's it, let's go, let's go get it. Yep. And then uh, everything stops and it goes to a cutscene. Because mm-hmm. the, the hope is, oh, let's get there before the Reapers, before yeah. Saren, uh, but he gets there too quick. He's yep. like just a few minutes ahead of us. And so it shows up, and you see all the missiles and everything. It's a really cool shot. It's really well done yeah. um, when the Reaper shows up, and you see the Citadel's defenses activated, but the Reaper brings a ton of Geth ships that look similar to the Reapers. Yeah, the Geth, the Geth ships have kind of that, yeah. Yeah, they look similar. Um, but yeah, and he's got a whole army with him, right? I um, really like that shot. It's sort of like a panning shot as, like, Sovereign sort of just, like, coming towards... Like the the kind of center place where it sort of like yes, I was gonna. I have a note on that. Cool shot. (laughs) It's a very cool shot. And what you just did actually is what I was thinking of. This is a little bit like this is a little bit Sistine Chapel like in some weird way. Oh, I could see. As the thing moves forward, it looks like a hand, right? The whole thing looks like a hand moving forward, right? Yeah. And there's a finger. (laughs) <laughs> that sort of like touches yeah. the Citadel. Yeah, and, and it's like they're coming close and it's like... But the, the, the difference is within the Sistine Chapel is that there were the... Um, how did I put it? I, I wrote this down here. There were the angels pulling God away from uh, Adam or Michael. I think it's Adam, right? Yeah, on that um, side. On the Sistine Chapel. On the left side. And it's it basically showing that God wants to make contact, but he is being he is restricted in some other ways. The angels are, are holding him back. It's, it's an interesting scene, right? But what if the angels weren't there and God was able to make contact? Mm-hmm. 
destruction, right? <laughs> right? Because this this the Reaper is essentially like the godlike being of this of this world, you know, right? I, I thought about this. And it's like boom, oh, they're going to make contact with God and it's not a good thing. Yeah. Right? I thought it's, about it's, this. It's a good take. It's on the second time going through the sovereign conversation on Vermeer. Yeah. And I don't remember if we brought it up. You edited the last episode. I did. So I don't remember if we brought up when he says we simply are. I did. We, okay, did we talk about how I, it's like I am and Oh yes. I don't yeah. think we brought that up okay. that line specifically. So like what what um I'm gonna bungle it, but what Sovereign says there is uh, uh Reapers, the name given to us by the Protheans to give voice to their destruction yes. or something like that. Uh, in the end, what they chose to call us is irrelevant. We simply are. I love that. And I think I know where you're going with this. That's that, pretty cool. On the second time watching, it was like, they're, th- I feel like that's an intentional sort of reference to the biblical I am when God, I refers, think so. God refers to himself as I am. Yeah. Right? We simply are. It's like they have a God complex, these reapers. Right? Yes. They believe yes. that they are infinite. They have yep. no beginning. No, and you try to ask them, who created you? We Alpha have no Omega, beginning. Yeah. yeah. We have no end. We are infinite. Alpha and Omega, we are. Yeah. Was essentially what it that's, says. That's fascinating. <laughs> and that, I think, really adds to the sort of like the nature of that scene being a very heavy, almost gut punch, hopeless feeling. Right. It's like. This is like a God We level. are beyond your comprehension. Yeah. Our existence is something you can't understand. Right. We have been doing this countless for countless eons, we mm-hmm. will continue to do so. There is literally nothing you can do. Like, it's just, they basically are gods. Yeah. <clears throat> but they're synthetic gods. They're, they're, they're robot yes. gods. <laughs> they're, they're robot gods. They're essentially man-made gods. Well, by, according, gods. according to them, they aren't yes, created. Yes, they wouldn't say so. And we'll learn more about their origins in future Mass Effect games. But... That scene, I don't know, it's just something that I thought about the second time that I didn't comment on the first time. Yeah. Is that pr- intentional, I feel like, reference of saying we are, we simply are, we are, I am, right? Yes. Um, there, there was <coughs> something else I want to bring up to that because there, there's, uh, when he says that um, the Reapers is just a name, simply a name given to voice the destruction, right? Yeah. But it doesn't actually encapsulate who we are, right? Yeah. That's... Um, Sort of like the general idea of a graven image or something like yeah. that, where yeah. it's like you you take an abstract concept that you can't understand it, and you 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 give it a name, and you understand ancient religions often will say, "Don't say the name of God." In fact, yeah. it's one of the issues with Christ when he says, "I am that I am," something like that. What is it? Or yeah. whom? Anyways, there's I a there's I, am, I can't yeah. remember it, but there's some line in Matthew or one of the Gospels where Jesus says that, and they're, they're, everyone's like freaking out. They're like, "You're not allowed to say that, right?" Oh, right. Yeah. You can't say the name of God. That was one of the rules. Don't say the name of God. Uh, don't make any graven images to God. And both of those are um, in part referencing the same thing, which is there's an abstract thing, and when you when you give a name to it, and when you make it into this tangible thing that you can understand, mm-hmm. you do a disservice to the actual thing, yeah. right? Because you've... you've it's like you've, a faulty, yeah. flawed way of trying to define what it is. Exactly. You're trying to understand it, and it's like you can't. You, it's, it's better that you leave it as incomprehensible than that you encapsulate it in like a golden calf or, or a name of a thing that means other words within yeah. the language that's a, a difficult language to communicate in yeah. anyways, right? Which is all languages. Um, 
it's you know you, you're missing something when you do that. And mm. so when the Reapers show up and it, and the people have given them a name and they're just like that, whatever, like that's not. They think they know us. They don't know us. Yeah. You don't know us. You named me, but you don't know my real name, right? right? And you'll exactly. never know it because you can't understand it, right? Yeah. Another thing that I, I noticed, like that, man. Another thing that I noticed on Pharaohs was uh, they have a sort of that brief scene where you kind of come and you see these two Geth that are like worshiping. Uh, they they built like a little shrine in Pharos, and there's like they're they're sort of like bowing down to it, and you you shoot them or whatever, and then yeah. uh, if Tali's with you or I guess whoever's in your squad, they'll they'll make mention of, you know, the Geth are evolving just like any other life form. Hmm. Of course, they would uh, start to try to understand their origins or they're becoming yeah why they're here, and so religion would be a part of that. Yeah. yeah. But what I noticed is that the shape of the object that they're worshiping looks a little bit like Sovereign. Really? It's kind of just like a thing with these arms coming down and there's like a, a glowing orb in the center of it. Oh, and nice. it, you know, they've mentioned that the Geth are worshiping the Reapers as gods. They see them as gods. Uh, the, the Reapers are, according to themselves, basically gods. Yeah. But like that, I just, uh, that little shrine that they built there, I wonder if I can pull it up. Let me just try and find it really quick so you can see what I'm talking about. It's pretty interesting. Uh, like, again, something I didn't notice on the first time, but on the second time is like, I think they built a, sh a sovereign shrine on Pharaohs and are worshiping sovereign like a god. Because sovereign does look like a hand, like you're saying, right? Yes, yeah. And it, it is the hand of God. Like, yeah. that is what it is. And I just can't, I, that imagery of the hand slowly making contact, where, Okay, you've got two ideas, right? You've got, you've got the God of the Sistine Chapel where he has made many things and those things have keep God separate from humanity, right? Mm -hmm. But it seems to be a benevolent God. Then you've got the man-made God, which is sovereign. I'm, I'm just going to put him in the category. I know we don't know where they came from, but I'm going to put him in the category of the man-made artificial intelligence that is that man creates God. And... Um, God then just completely destroys man because it can now make contact. It makes its own rules and it's it's based on whatever we, you know, whatever limitations we put on it. Okay, so I've got to pull up here. Look at this. So you kind of come into here, right? And you have the Geth bowing down at this thing that looks like it has oh, fingers. Oh, and this part. And they were bowing down and like worshiping it. There's a little orb in there. But it's just these like reaching fingers. Yeah. And they were like worshiping at the feet of that symbol, right? This thing here. Yeah. Which to me resembles It does. It sovereign. looks like the tentacles. It looks like that part. And so I, I feel didn't like get the significance of they've that. built a religion and they've built idols yes. around Sovereign. They're trying to understand him. Yeah. And it was really cool to me that uh, when you spoke to Saren on Vermeyer, mm. he was like the reaction of their gods to them is quite telling. They're insulted. So, like, mm. they don't appreciate the Geth's uh, <laughs> <laughs> praise of them. That's so funny. They, they, they see them as totally inferior, just like yeah. all the other organic life. So, obviously, that, that, I think that's telling somewhat about mm. the, the, the Reapers themselves. Even sure. though it's a synthetic life form, like they are. Mm. It was made by the hands of organic life. Yeah. Therefore, it's right. useless. Right, it's impure, it's useless. Have you yeah. ever had like, um, 
like a dog. <laughs> Where, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes, you know, you come home, the dog's excited to see you, and you're like, sweet, what's up, dog? But sometimes, if you're grumpy or whatever, you come home, it's annoying. and the dog just wants to lick you and jump on you, and it's yeah. just like, oh, wait. Like, what the dog is essentially doing, it's, it's praising and worshiping you as, <laughs> as its as divine <laughs> manifestation that feeds it and gives it shelter and run, run, totally. r- rules its life, right? Yeah. So you are a god to that dog. But sometimes its worship of you is a little too weird. It's a little too like over <laughs> the too top. Much, man. Like, dude, but he's doing it in his own way. Like, what if a spider was like in awe of you and it was uh, running towards you and it was just like bowing <laughs> down to you and you're just like, step on it. Like, get away from me. Go mm-hmm. away. Pretend I'm not here. I don't care what you think of me. Go away. Yeah. I don't. I don't want you. That's probably what I'd think. That it's sovereign basically is just what's going like, on with sovereign. Yeah, yeah. Just leave me. Leave me alone. Just don't pretend do like we're on the. What I want you to do. Yeah. And then die. And then I will kill you. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. So you rush into the conduit. It's pretty cool because you got a bunch of Geth. Uh, uh, what do they call them? Like the big like. Oh, I had the. Oh yeah, like the big the, ones. Those things are harder to kill. Yeah, I can't remember the. I can't um, remember the technical name of it. Anyway, the name. Yeah, they're yeah. shooting at you, and you have like a time limit. You got like forty seconds to get in yeah, there, yeah. so you can't like fight them. You just got to drive through and yep. take a bunch of hits. And you, you go to the right side, and they shoot a few, and you go to the left side, and then the cannons, <laughs> and you just—it's pretty easy to avoid that. Yeah, until you, you get closer to them. Drive through it. You just jump into the conduit, and it sends now, you into the citadel. I have a technical question about this because okay. when the Reaper goes through the conduit, he's really far away from the Citadel. When so they we go through it, we the, are literally the, the in Reaper, the Citadel. The Reaper didn't go through the conduit. Oh, Saren Jeff Saren. Did. Okay. So what what they they did they're doing a oh, similar sure, that makes sense. a similar okay, okay. tactical um, operation to what we did on Vermeer. The okay. Solarian units went and attacked head on and brought a lot of the Geth forces out to fight them okay. while our shadow team went in there you go. and that snuck in the back that makes sense. Right? Okay, cool. to like actually set the nuke mm-hmm. and detonate it. So Sovereign, so leads Sovereign took a normal relay. A fleet of Geth to yeah, the actual the relay that leads to the Citadel, brings the Armada out to fight while Saren lands on the Citadel Just itself like through the did. conduit with a smaller okay, cool. force, and they work their way up, right? But Sovereign is still powerful enough, beastly enough to just kind of like break through that. I know, that's pretty crazy. And just go attach itself. It took a while. While the Geth keep fighting like the, the Asari flagship and uh, the Turian uh, ships and things yeah. like that out, you know, on the outside. Because it was open. So the Citadel arms were open. Yeah. But it but what happened is that uh, Saren closed them and, and Sovereign got in before it closed. And now mm-hmm. that it's closed, it's like impenetrable. They can't attack. And all of the ships Sovereign. are stuck outside. Yep. So that's another part of what we have to do is we have to open the citadel again. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can actually so attack that, Sovereign. So that ships can get in and attack Sovereign inside yeah. of it. So <clears throat> um, so we land in there. We're chasing after Saren. A lot of fighting going on there. It's kind of a cool shot too, like because Saren stops the elevator and you're inside of it. 
So you have to like blow the glass out and you kind of just step out in the gravity. It's really cool. Like just shifts. It's really cool. It kind of shifts that whole scene, that whole scene with the with the the citadel closing and the ship in, and then we come out and you're just seeing the whole thing, mm. looking up and down into the like just how freaking big it is, and just the the massive destruction that's going on. It's yeah, really, I really, really like that. You really can, overwhelming. When you first start out, you you kind of see Sovereign there just like moving its tendrils, and you kind of look up and you just see the scale of it, and it's just like yeah. whoa, huge. And then you're like running through, and you're fighting. You make your way to the council chamber where Saren is at, and he's, you know, activating the citadel. And you have a conversation with him here. Um, it is possible, because he, he, he mentions how he started to really um, think about what you said last time. Yes, Because he yes. starts to realize how indoctrinated really he really is. We really did get is. into his head, yeah. He's like, oh, crap. I am indoctrinated. I actually am. Um, and so he got really disturbed by that. But but what does he do about it? He goes it? to Sovereign, now, and Sovereign just upgrades him, right? <laughs> now, I have, a, I have a theory of this, because my, my initial reading of that is like, that's not right. That's, yeah. that's strange. My guess is, because we, we don't communicate with the real him. We're communicating with the, the indoctrinated version of him, right? Uh, up until the very end, if you do the Paragon questions, where you do sort of get a, a response from the real him, mm-hmm. Briefly before you know yeah. that's over, um, but my idea would be that Sovereign may have implanted him with that thing, kind of not really more or less against his will yeah. would be what I'm thinking of, right? Think so. But then when he tells us, he's like, "Oh, I ha- I told him to do yeah. this and I wanted this," right? But if he was asking questions and his response is to get implanted, uh, probably he asked questions and he got implanted whether he wanted to or not, yeah. right? Yeah. Because the the sovereign is like we're not wasting time here. If you're not on my side, then I have a solution for that. Yeah, force it, and it'll be done. And then and then the indoctrinated Saren with the device would then act like, oh, that was totally voluntary. Yeah. I wanted to do that. I totally yeah. wanted to do that. Right. Yeah. It's exactly what I think happened. Yeah. And so there there is a possibility here to use either your paragon or renegade to persuade. Saren that he's indoctrinated right. and what he'll do is he'll like kill himself. He he'll like shoot himself head, yeah. to stop. Yeah. And you basically skip the whole first phase of the final boss fight. Yeah, I didn't realize. I thought we were going to have a boss fight and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be real. This is going to be crazy because he's bionic. He's got this metal suit now and he's all like super like souped up and yeah. ready to fight. And he's talking up how, how strong he is now and he's like, I'm last time we fought was nothing. I'm like... Yeah. 10 times stronger now and like okay that's the rpg thing right well then he just shoots himself in the head and it falls down i was like holy cow like i was not expecting that at all but when he before he shoots himself in the head he has like one or two lines where he's like he's like you're right i am indoctrinated i hate this i'm done and it's over for me and we're like no you can still be saved (laughs) which is the Gosh, the we talk we, about this a lot. We were talking lot. about last there is uh, no, podcast. There is no forgiveness. Even if you are indoctrinated and possessed and you have an implant, the right thing to do <laughs> is, to die. is to die. You cannot There's be forgiven. A, definitely a trope here. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, even though it, a lot of it can be said to be against his will. Now, you were telling me based on some previous things that, like based on the book. He's not necessarily a great guy. He anyways. was never that great to begin with, yeah. right? Okay, so we're okay with him dying. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But essentially the idea is that um, there is no forgiveness, and but but there, there, the good character needs to offer forgiveness. 
but if the character actually is forgven, people don't like it. They don't like it. People don't like it. People he, are like, no, nah, he's got to pay. He's, he's got to pay. pay capital punishment, right? Yeah. So, and the best solution for that is he shoots himself. And it's like, oh, well, that was probably the best way this could happen for the human egos watching it and for the character of Saren, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, sure. We're all okay with that, right? Because it was his choice. We didn't kill him. Our good guy didn't betray his values and shoot uh, a sort of innocent. Like, you see this in, um, like, in Goldeneye. Or in one of the other Batman movies where Batman drops Joker from the building. Wait, which one oh, was that? Oh, that's, that's like the, Jack that's the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like Batman, like, didn't want to kill him, but the guy, like, I think James Bond is holding Trevelyan's hand. At the, sorry, spoiler alert for Goldeneye. And and he, it's like the right thing to do is to save him, even though he's so bad. Oh, he slipped, or no, oh, he, he tried to kill he us, and then he died. He tries to kill you, and then he dropped I, I, Movies do this all the time, and part of the reason is is that our character needs to offer forgiveness, but the bad guy can't be forgiven. He cannot, <laughs> but it has to be offered, because yeah. our good guy's a good guy. Right. Anyways, so throughout the whole Saren thing, at the very end, he's like, no, I've gone too far. It's it's you now. Like good luck, you know. Yeah. Does in with himself, and uh, I, I don't know. The way everything went around, it's like about fine. But I would I would like it if every now and then we didn't yeah. have to play by these rules. I, for all the reasons you just mentioned, on top of one additional reason, mm. do not like the scene when it plays out this way. Yeah. Where you persuade or convince or intimidate. To kill himself. Saren into killing himself. Yeah. I don't like the story going that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense because <laughs> it, 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 um, it, it diminishes the power of Sovereign's indoctrination. Oh, sure. Yeah, I was surprised. I was like, wait, he's overpowering the chip, yes. the implant? Yes. Wow, good it's job, like, Saren. You're pretty it's strong, It's like uh, Shepard's power of persuasion is more powerful than God's indoctrination. Which, <laughs> it, it, it just really lessens how yeah. powerful that indoctrination is. Hey, dude, his is. charm was leveled all the way up. Yeah, it's, it's just, <laughs> I, it's not he was convincing to me. His charm was godlike. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's silly. It, it is. And, and it, 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 it undermines it how powerful the Reapers are. Yeah. So I don't like it for that reason. I much prefer that you actually fight Saren here, because you get yeah. a, a, the first phase of the boss fight, first of all which is actually kind of tough. He's like floating around the room and there's Geth coming in and there's a lot going I, on and it's a I big firefight that's that. pretty tough. And I like it, it's fun. And uh, you actually shoot him and then he falls from his little glider and falls down and gets impaled in that room below. Oh, there you go. And like, it's just, I just like the scene Through playing the, out the that glass, way. There's glass yeah. there too and yeah. It's, I like the scene playing out that way much better. Um, that makes for that sense. reason, because I mean, yeah. in, in addition to what you're saying, the, the trope, the tropiness of it, it's just it, it makes sovereign less powerful, and I don't like that. So, yeah. um, anyways, I like doing that, and then you 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 insert the Prothean data disk that you got from Vigil, and you like stop the process that Saren had started, but then um, you get a choice here. It's like because you're going to open the, the arms ah, of the Citadel, yes, right? yes, yes, yes. But, but, like, the the Alliance fleet has shown up for mm-hmm. reinforcements. Yes, yeah. And it's like you can either go save the Destiny Ascension, which is the Asari flagship where the right. Council is... They were being evacuated. They're on evacuated, that yeah. ship now. 
mm -hmm. but it is under heavy fire and it's about to be destroyed. Right. So it's like you can either send your alliance ships to offer assistance to the Destiny Ascension and mm -hmm. save the council, but take heavy casualties in the process, or you can hold them off and say, just focus on Sovereign. Forget the Destiny Ascension. We need as many ships as possible to get in here when the arms of the Citadel open and take out Sovereign, because right. it's not easy to destroy. Right. Um, in my Renegade playthrough, I had a lot of arguments with the Council. Mm -hmm. Lots of disagreements. Constantly yes. they're questioning me. They were Constantly I'm saying, you don't get it. And they never listened to us. And it made a lot of sense mm. to say, screw those guys. The whole reason we're in this situation is because of them. As a Renegade run, that makes sense. And because yeah. it's not even just an FU to the, mm. the Citadel. It's like, or to the Citadel Council. It's saying, no, we have to kill Sovereign now. Right. Like, we need as much firepower, we need right. as many ships as possible to kill this thing you now. Get, no right time. fetching now. Because if it, <laughs> if it calls the Reapers through, we're, right. we're, we're all dead. So it's, it's, it feels more like kind of a, like we're talking about, where it's like you, you allow the few to die to save the many, sort yes, of. Yes, yeah, yeah. Rather than just being, oh, I hate you. Mm -hmm. Right? So I can see it in that context working. In my Paragon playthrough, I didn't argue with the council as much. Yeah. I was more agreeable with them. Mm -hmm. And so it made a little more sense to be like, no, like, how are we going to keep the structure of the galaxy but together that's, after this event? That's thinking past the sail. Right. What would you call it? Exactly. That's, that's beyond. It's like you've got, um, <laughs> like, let's say you're a football team. You're playing a team tonight. But you got a really big game like the next week. Yeah. But if you don't win the game tonight, right? You're, you're looking ahead You're out too of the much. playoffs. Like you're and done. You, it's and over. You're not focusing enough. Exactly. On the, on the it's like no. You have to make sure you win <laughs> the current thing. And who? You know. It's like yeah. Well, how yeah. are we going to rebuild without a council? First off, make a new council. Yeah. I don't think it would be that big a deal. Uh, second off, you don't even know that that's even going to happen. Like, right. make sure you deal with the problem at hand first. The moral, because the way the game makes it seem is though the moral thing to do. Is save the council. Is save the council. But I don't think it but is. But the truly moral <laughs> thing yeah, to do I agree. is to to kill Sovereign as fast as possible immediately right yeah. then. He's yeah. attached to the, the monument. Is that what that, that thing is? I don't know if that's... Or is that the Citadel it's, building? It's just kind of like... The, I think it's the tower. The yes, tower. Yes, the Citadel tower where itself. The, where the people are, the... What do you call it? Where the council the chamber is. And, okay. Yes. So it's not the relay itself. No. But I agree. I agree. I think it's actually a better choice to... Uh, just focus on Sovereign. It's like and more it's, moral. It has kind of three options there where it's like save the council, let the council die, or one that just says just focus on Sovereign. I have not chosen the just focus on Sovereign mm -hmm. one, but I assume it's the same as letting the council die. Okay. But just without saying, I want you to let them die. <laughs> <laughs> so that way you absolve yourself. That's one of the issues... That's one of the fun things about, because I feel like we could talk about this in a game yeah. like Mass Effect that's all about ethical conundrums. Mm. Like, if you ask people, um, you know, which decision they would make in a certain situation, if one of them involves you directly killing somebody, people yeah. are less likely to do it. But if the other um, decision involves inadvertently, well, indirectly killing somebody, yes. right? Right. Like, what is it? I heard this one a while back. You're on a boat. Somebody's drowning in the water. Do you, but if you're... If you don't drive fast enough, they will drown. 
yeah. right? But if you want to drive faster, there's a person sitting on the back of your boat who's going to fall off into yeah. the water because you're going to you're punching. This is it, basically right? the trolley problem. Yes, yeah. but it is. Except this is one and one. One, one person one. drowning. Yeah. One person in the in the boat. And what most people would say is, oh, the person drowning, we we let them drown. Yes. We don't because by pushing the throttle, we will then be responsible for, for the other person dying. Death. We killed that, that person. This was an act of God. This, this who knows person, how he got in the water. Yeah. And so the thing is, <clears throat> even though the same result, one person dies either way, people would much rather allow the incidental death that they were indirectly responsible for, that they could have saved, than causing yes. a new death right. themselves. And that's just part of the, the ego. The ego just can't handle it. Like, yeah. And so that third, um, that third option would be the absolution of responsibility, right? Where yeah. it's like... I, I don't, whatever happens, happens, even though you know what's going to happen. You yes. need that option to be able to, to help your ego to cope with the aftermath, yes. right? Where it's like, right. well, well, it was out of my control, really, and, you know, things just happened, and I did what I had to do. So that's yeah. an ethical thing, and I don't, I don't even know if that's necessarily a problem. That's just how human brains work, right? Yeah, it's just hard to feel like I caused this. Yes. When I know I didn't cause that. You gotta live with that forever. That. Yes, I didn't cause that. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyways, they had um, that third one in. So those are kind of the two options there. Yeah. But as you give that command, you send your squad down to be like, make sure uh, Saren's dead. Yeah. And this is where his upgrade comes into play. He basically right. gets ripped apart and he's a ba full machine now. Yeah, it's just the machine, yeah. And it's the second phase, final phase. And he starts fight. talking to you. He's like, I'm sovereign. So it's like sovereign uh, is animating this person yeah. with with its own spirit, you know? And I don't know if that thing really is sovereign or if it's just an extension or if that ship that was implanted into Saren was a replication of sovereign's Lazen AI. To control him remotely. Or if he's or, controlling him remotely yeah. either way. Uh, I don't know exactly what the deal is, but as soon as we kill that manifestation of Sovereign, uh, the hand of Sovereign kind of lets go and falls, right? And becomes well, vulnerable. I don't know. Isn't that I, I don't remember that. Maybe I can watch it again. We can just look at it again real quick. But um, Because that's when all the Alliance ships come in and they just start beating the fetch. They do, it. but they're shooting it for a while. They're shooting it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. It's, it's not until about. we kill uh, Saren Sovereign that something happens and that the Alliance is able to break through. Now, whether they helped us kill Saren, um, Saren Sovereign, or whether we helped the Alliance kill the real ship Sovereign, mm -hmm. I don't know which is... Okay, so he dies, and just like melts away. And... Yeah, you're right, it does look like it has some effect. Yeah. It seems like because we killed, it's almost as if that was Sovereign. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think you're right. So let's revisit this, or let's... So yeah, it starts falling off. Yeah. That's freaking, it's weird. So anyways, I don't know, that's why I'm wondering, was he remotely controlling Saren? Or did he actually put himself was he Saren? really in Saren? Because Saren's like, I am Sovereign, you know? And so as soon as yeah, we kill, then they can then they can blow him up. But it's like it's already deactivated. I know it's like falling and it's weak. And now they can like shred it up. You sick, know, but sick maneuver. Its shields are down. It's yeah, that's sick. <laughs> really cool shot. And of course, the, the Normandy is the one that <laughs> delivers the kill shot. The kill shot. Nice. Uh, like splits it up. Its legs fall off. It's like totally jacked. 
So yeah. So another thing, this this battle here kind of does a similar thing to uh, like what the Return of the Jedi does, right? Where they got mm -hmm. the space battle outside, but then the real lightsaber the battle in, is yeah. going on inside. And yeah. as soon as one defeats the other, it changes the tide of the battle yeah. for the other, right? Um, this is sort of like a, a version of that, right? Yeah, so like we're a fighting similarly Saren. structured scene. Yeah. yeah. All right. So. Sovereign is destroyed. You prevent the Reapers from being signaled and coming through the mass relay of the Citadel and save the day. Um, depending on how, what choice you made and how it played out, you'll either be, get a scene with the, well, first, I guess one of the, the, the some of the debris from the explosion of Sovereign breaking apart comes through and like smashes oh, into yeah, the chamber. Yeah. And, and they play like, oh no, they died. Yeah. But then, like, they come looking and they're like, oh, they find your teammates. Well, what happened to the Shepard? Captain, Captain, Captain Anderson. Anderson yeah. is, is the one, yeah. He's like, okay, where's, where's Shepard? And they're all like, he didn't make it. Like, <laughs> we don't know where his body is, but we're sure he's dead. <laughs> we're sure he died. We didn't look at all. We have no idea, but I don't And think we're just, like, right there behind the thing. Yeah, like, and this kind of brings up another thing that I find a little bit corny. From Generally, this point on, the game is, is less. Yeah. But they've done points. it a couple times even before this. Yeah. Anytime they try to like play up like the heroism mm -hmm. of Commander Shepard, yeah. it always lands as being corny to me. Like yes. every time. Yes, yes. Because um, he's, he's not really like a well-defined character mm, because yeah. he's a Avatar character. So it's, I don't know, there's just something about... <laughs> It reminded me a little bit of some of our movies we made as kids. Yeah. Where he, sh so they're like, okay, he's dead, right? And then, and then you, know, you look over here and you see some feet kind of scrambling up. And it's like Commander Shepard comes in and you have this very epic power shot. Yes, where from he's standing on him. top of He's the standing thing. on top of the debris and he's, and he's like all, you know, like yeah. in this her heroic pose, right? Yes. And then they show a shot. Of Commander Anderson, and he looks kind smiling of at him, yeah. just a smirk. Yes, and then uh, Shepard walks towards them, and he's also kind of smirking as he's coming towards. Yes, them. it reminded me so yes. much of the exact shots we did in one of our movies. I believe it was our Star Wars film we made, where yes. it's like, isn't it the ghost? It's at the very end yes. of the movie. Yes, at the end where of Star Wars, Case and Iken <laughs> sees the Force ghost of his yes. master oh just nodding and smiling at him, like you did it, good <laughs> job. And then you're just looking back at him, smiling, like, yeah, I did. <laughs> It was, it's like so corny, dude. It's like exactly oh what gosh. they do in this oh, scene. It really is. It really is. You're right. It's super corny. Yes, and, and, it, and the the CG animation doesn't help. Yeah. It feels like a rushed yeah. sort of like final cutscene. Mm -hmm. um, but then, then you get a shot or you get a little scene where it's either the council talking to you saying, thank you for saving us. You made, the Alliance has made a great mm -hmm. sacrifice. You know, we thank yeah, them for humanity this. did a good job. Um, because of this, we're going to allow a human onto the council. Yeah. And so you can choose Udina or Anderson. I have no idea, regardless of whether you're doing Paragon or Renegade, why anyone yeah. would choose Udina. It's mm. like stupid to choose yeah. it. So everyone chooses Captain Anderson because he deserves it. Um, but if you do the other way, so I don't even know if you saw the scene, if you didn't save the council, it's Udina and Anderson and Shepard discussing, like, well, who gets to take leadership now? 
mm. and they essentially say humanity does because everyone's scared and we were the only ones right. who like who are, who are strong enough to like really step into this world. This is our destiny. We were born for this. We were yeah. born for this kind mm. of thing, right? Like we're the strongest race. Our differences in, I suppose, temperament, uh, our aggressive expansion, our all these things yeah. have prepared us to do this in a way that the other Citadel races were not prepared to do. And it's because you insisted on pursuing this investigation, mm -hmm. even though they tried to hamper you all yeah. the way, that we were able to do this. So obviously humanity is going to be the one to lead the galaxy against the Reapers. Kind of like the two differences there. But you still choose who's going to be the leader, Udina or Anderson. Yeah. Okay. So and then they're, instead of being a member of the council, they're just the new leader over everything. Yeah. There's like a human council, it's a but it's like a chairman or somebody who's kind okay. of at the top. Sure. And so, again, I don't any idea why anyone would choose Udina. <laughs> but the rationale behind it is this: we're going to war. We need somebody with military experience to lead us. And Udina yeah. seems to actually be understanding of that, where he's like, actually, yes. But in the other one, where it's just the Citadel Council asking you who to nominate, if you say Anderson, he tries to like resist that. Like, wait a minute, why yes. him? Blah blah blah. It's like he's not even a politician, <laughs> and it's like, uh, dude, that's exactly it's why. exactly <laughs> why I'm not choosing you. Right? Yeah. Okay. That's funny. So then that scene ends, and then they have just one more <laughs> really corny propaganda oh my gosh, power shot. I couldn't shot believe that. Of, of it's Shepherd another like Lenny Reifenstahl level. Yes. <laughs> And and just with the the ship in the background, and he's just and why is that shot? There? I don't know. It doesn't look. I good. really don't know. It's, it's not really a good shot. Weird, and it's it's very corny, and they're like trying yeah. so hard. They're really forcing the issue here to yeah. like play up like the heroic mm. stoic yes. like pose of Shepard. He's this hero. See, he's such a hero. Look at him. Yeah. It's just like, dude, this is not subtle, I and know. it doesn't work. Stop. Mm. No. <laughs> A little silly. No, I totally agree. Um, we did not talk about the relationship stuff. Okay, let's do that. Here at quick. the end of the game. Um, first of all, because you mentioned that you didn't get the uh, the scene with the uh, where they confront you and they're like, pick which girl is is your number no, one girl. I didn't because I had I told because you Liara knew ahead of time, right? To just be friends. Yes. So you knew that. you knew what you were doing. Yeah. So. Why did you pick Ashley? It was my first I question. didn't pick, I didn't try to pick Ashley. So <laughs> I was trying not to romance anybody. Okay, yeah. In the Renegade playthrough, I was successful at not doing that. Okay. Because I was rude to Ashley to the first, in the very beginning, because I was just being Renegade, Renegade, yes, Renegade yes. on every choice. And he was just an absolute jerk to her. And yeah. she was basically like, I don't like you for the rest of the game. Okay. <laughs> and anytime I had a conversation with Ashley, I just mostly went middle route. I okay. never really went like the nice way. Yeah. So she never developed feelings at all for okay. Shepard. And with Liara, I did the same thing where she initially was like, I have feelings for you. Uh, what do you feel? And is like, sorry, I just want to be friends. So in that scene where you first go back to, this, uh, go back to the Citadel, and, and what's supposed to happen is one of the girls come to like comfort you and to like galvanize you mm -hmm. or whatever. Yes. He's just by himself. Nobody comes up to talk to him. Really? And then Joker just says, hey, there's a message coming in. He's like, you spying on me, Joker, or whatever. But he's That's alone. That's it? Alone? He's alone. He's oh, not with anybody. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. So that was my renegade playthrough. Huh. I didn't romance anybody. I was on thinking. The, on the Paragon yeah. playthrough, I had had some conversations with Ashley in which 
I used some of the nice options, mm -hmm. and so therefore she falls in love with you. It just, and so it just I didn't happened. mean for that to happen, but she showed up in that scene. Yeah. And it's like, basically, you have one choice here. You are either a complete jerk out of character of Shepard at this point to get her to F off and go uh -huh. away, <laughs> or even if you're neutral, she will just be with you. Oh, that's so and funny. that's what ended up happening to me on the Paragon route. And I was like, okay. dang it, I didn't want this. <laughs> I did not want this at all. <laughs> so I ended up getting with Ashley on accident. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a bar conversation. Yeah, I was drunk. I didn't mean for this to happen. <laughs> total total freak accident. Oh man. So for me, it was clearly Liara because I actually didn't know that you could pick neither of them. So oh, I was right. like, all right, well, this is where the game's pushing me. So because uh, then they confronted me because I was just Paragon nice to everybody, and I was like, tell me about yourself. And oh well, I still think you're a good person. And to everybody, you know, each time that they brought up stuff, I was always to upper left or upper right. Yeah. So and it um, just goes in a loop, and you like have to eventually. <laughs> it's yes. Choose. <laughs> <laughs> but they confront you, right? They show up, and they're like, "Hey, which girl do you like?" And I thought that was so bad. I hated that moment. It feels where I was school. like, "This is middle school. This is yeah. thirteen-year-olds." But not only that, I what I wrote down here. <laughs> I said. Uh, Choosing between the two of them is so weird. It's like high school, which one of us do you like, right? But this is a military vessel. I know. And we are the commander. Mm -hmm. How many people watching this <laughs> have served in the military? If this drama occurred on a ship or like in the Navy or on a base, what the what would happen? <laughs> like what does, does this anybody have does a story? this happen? <laughs> first of all, does, does this happen? And does like the general get like multiple girls like confronting each other and it's, make it that obvious, right? My guess is it's a lot more subtle. Yeah, uh, my guess is it wouldn't happen at all. It was so overt <laughs> here, right? It was so overt here. It's just so overt. And Ashley, I, I put a lot of it on Ashley. She's so obnoxious. I really don't like her character. Um, yeah, I, I feel like yeah. in my previous playthroughs, I didn't hate Ashley. I just kind of like was like, hey, you're okay, I guess. I didn't like her on this playthrough, like yeah. really at all. Hmm. And I think I think the intention here is that, yeah, she's pretty like I guess you, the correct term would be xenophobic. Yes, um, she's exceptionally xenophobic and prejudiced mm. and um, just abrasive. She's very abrasive. Yeah, but that she comes around on some of those things because. Shepard persuades her to look at it from a different lens, and she becomes less that way. But part of the persuasion is now you got to sleep with her. I know. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just a jerk. I, I know that that's kind of the intention with it, but yeah. I just find her personality um, <clears throat> too abrasive for my taste. I just don't sure. really like her very much. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't want to pursue her in real life at all. <laughs> Like at all. I don't know who would. <clears throat> Liara but to me if you would, is at least she's interesting a, in a, a different more way. interesting person, but still kind of just flat. Yes. I, I just don't really like her that much either. Because she just she just this innocent hundred and six year old, you know, thing. <laughs> 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 Trying to make its way in the world. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, she's very flat character as well, but she's yeah. way more interesting, partly just because she's an alien, but she wants to like talk to us about other stuff because she actually does research. Right. Anyways, 
I put down here, I find is strange. This is like playing a game as the CEO of a company where you can hook up with the secretary <laughs> or the other few women that work for you. I know. Isn't that just weird? It, it does. It feels forced overall. It doesn't feel very organic. And I think you're right. I think the setting of Mass Effect 1 does not lend itself to a romance very well. No. Um, Although I do have to say, uh, to the extent, and maybe this is why they push you towards Ashley more and more, is because I think that the Liara, there's a better connection with Liara because there are multiple times where we have the yeah, moment have the, of the mind, the mind melding thing. thing. And, and then we go talk to her afterwards because she's not feeling well. And it's like you, you connect with her on a, a different level first. And it makes more sense to me yeah. that that would be the natural. But but according to the way the game seems to work, they, the natural thing they want to push you towards is more of like Ashley. Yeah. Uh, at least that's where Ashley just pushes herself on you either way. But it, it makes more sense to pick Liara, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to say anything like um, this doesn't happen in real life. I'm sure it does. But I'm sure it, it creates a lot of scandals, even in the military, because there probably is a superior officer to, you know, um, subordinate sort of, like that's not, it's like kind of a that's, taboo thing. Well now, especially now it is. Yeah, you're not supposed to yes, do that. Yes. You're not supposed to develop those kinds of feelings right. with subordinates. Because that's, it's a bit, sometimes people feel like they have no choice I'm, but to go along with what their boss tells them to do. Yeah, right? I'm sure it yeah. happens. And, and I'm sure it's in human nature for relationships like that to develop. I'd say it definitely is human nature. But I, I don't know. There's something about Shepard's personality, the urgency of this particular mission, mm-hmm. and a that. lot of other things going on where it's just like I, don't, I, I, I do not feel convinced that he would allow this to happen under right. his command on this mission. Uh, this heroic, always in control. Even if yeah. he was interested in Ashley at some point, he would say, not now. Right. Like, let's wait right. until the mission's over and maybe we're assigned to different ships or sure. something like that. Um, also, military relationships are hard because, mm-hmm. and, and this is actually something that's explored a lot with Anderson in the, in the prequel novel, no, yeah. He gets a divorce because he's oh. he's just he's away. Yeah, he's always gone. Eight months out of the year, yeah, yeah. and it's just it's really hard to maintain a relationship when you're assigned to different places or this person's over here and you're over here for extended periods of time. It's just again, I'm not trying to say like these relationships don't happen, or, and, and I'm not convinced that they would. I'm just saying it doesn't feel right for the setting of this game. To kind of force oh, a romance on you like this. Absolutely. The second game, the the mm. circumstances of the second game are very different. Really. And it lends itself much better mm. to a more casual relationship with your squad mates. Not such a rigid military relationship. That makes more that would soften it a lot if it yes. wasn't so like strict. Because that's the whole point. This is like my line here. We're the commander. It feels weird that we're commanding a ship but are getting with all the ladies on board. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing about that. It just feels right. So, I, I mean, I'm with you. I agree. Yeah. So, again, this is kind of a conclusion I've come to overall in Mass Effect 1. Um, I feel like the building relationship with squad mates, it's like the foundation mm. of its greatness was set, but it was not executed to its full potential in this game. In Mass Effect 2, it is, from what I remember, I guess we'll play it at some point. No, I hope so. Masterful. It's just way, way better. 
you get a much better connection with the characters. The characters are much more interesting. Mm. Um, and you have more choices to make. And there's just a lot more to be gained from talking to your squad mates. And, and they actually have missions where you gain their trust for oh, every yeah. character. Oh, it's cool. like you learn about their background. They have mm. something in their past that they want settled. And you basically go and help them. And it, that you see mm. their, it, whether it's platonic or romantic, you see that relationship really build in layers and stages over time. Mm. And it just feels so much more natural than it does in the first game. Um, cool. What the first game, I think, does masterfully is it, how it unravels its world building. That, to me, is still just as good yeah. on this playthrough as any okay. playthrough I've done before. It was good. I was impressed. I, I, I just really love the attention to detail, um, the wittiness at times that that goes into it, like how they, they slowly unveil this yeah. galactic society yeah. and how it operates and all the different species. And uh, I love the sovereign conversation where you talk to it for the first time and yeah, basically yeah. feels like you're talking to God. Yes. And it's like, you can't fight God. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, in a way that's, I, I just feel very iconic. And so, um, I don't know, I guess like overall, I would say that my opinion of Mass Effect has diminished a little bit on this playthrough. I don't hold it in quite the same standing as I did oh, before okay. this playthrough. But that doesn't, that's not to say that I don't like it. I still love this game. It, I would probably drop it out of my top 10. Mm. But I still thoroughly enjoyed it. And I do like the additions that they've made to the legendary version. Okay, yeah. The remaster. Like Did they the, do all three remastered? Yes, or, they're okay. all in one game. So nice. the legendary edition oh, is all three games in one sick. package. Um, and like the shooting mechanics are far improved, like mm. the Mako is improved in terms of its mobility. Um, it's an overall smoother experience and one that I would recommend. Um, I really like using the powers. That was something I had never really like experimented with, yeah. with too much mm. in the past. So like I really got into the tech and the biotic powers. Um, and you know, experimenting with different classes too. What I ended up coming to a conclusion on as my favorite sort of setup is um, to have um, Shepard as a soldier, actually. This is not oh, common. Really? Most people don't like doing the basic soldier class. They yeah, like yeah. to experiment with the other ones and get mm -hmm. different powers. But what it really made me do is, like, my, my Shepard on Renegade was a beast with weapons. Oh, yeah. The dude just shredded people with guns. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. But mm -hmm. then I was constantly commanding Tali and... Liara and Rex to, to use their, their powers. To do their bionics, yeah. And especially with Geth, you know, to use the tech abilities to mm -hmm. like override or hack yeah, yeah. or... It was just like, there, like there's a couple of places where you're on foot and you're fighting against one of those big Geth. I forget the names of them. Maybe there's two of them. And it's like, I can just tell Tally, hack that one and it starts shooting at this one, right? And it blows yeah, that. Yeah. So there's just so many creative ways that you can like command your squad mates to use powers, and that makes your squad mates more. Um, it's like like you're not doing everything yourself. It's like yeah. you're actually relying on them mm -hmm. um, for something that they do they, that's they, useful. You to couldn't you. do as well yourself, right? Yeah. So I ended that's up really cool. liking that route, and also you can't like override or hack into anything because he doesn't have a high enough like engineering skill. 
on the soldier route. So you have to bring Tali with you mm. if you want to hack into anything to get nah, weapons yeah. out of the lockers or <clears throat> um, you know different codex entries or whatever mm. it might be. It's like if I didn't bring Tali with me, it's like, oh crap, I can't hack this. I've got to go back and get her. <laughs> so it's like you huh. rely on your squad mates more that way. Interesting. And I really liked that. So um, yeah, overall, um, really, really still love the game a lot. And I think it sets up a lot of uh, a really great foundation for what is, in my opinion, the superior game in Mass Effect 2. Mass Effect 2. Um, what did you feel about? <laughs> it's great. Um, <coughs> I mean, I had played the beginning of this game before, um, but I'd never finished it before. I never finished it to the ending. And it's, it's a really, really well done game. The story is great. The plot is yeah. great. The setting is awesome. Yeah. It's so, so cool. You, whenever you think like, oh, there's not much more to be done in a space setting or something like that mm -hmm. in terms of storytelling, there's still so much. It's just, yeah. you know, you got to be really creative about it. And this game was. And I feel like they knocked it out of the park with the, the, the races and with the realistic ethical situations and the yeah. how each race is vying for some position of authority, but only a few of them are capable of actually attaining it. Mm. And then the, where humans would likely fit in with all of that. Yeah. And how, I don't know, it, just, it felt like a very, it was a really cool scenario. Um, I liked just about just about everything about the game. I still don't love the gameplay. Gameplay's, you know. I, I think whenever and I'm, we I'm move. I'm not saying it's like horrible. Yeah. It's just yeah. like. It's probably the weaker part. Whenever we move to Mass Effect 2, we got to get you the legendary version. Sure thing, yeah, sure. And not the original. Well, actually, Mass Effect 2, even the original version was far improved. Was improved. On that I've side never, of things. I've never played Mass Effect but 2. But I think all. we should get you the legendary version anyways. Yeah. <clears throat> but I feel um, like this game really, really excelled with the setting and with the plot line. Yeah. I really like that a lot. Yeah, I agree. And then some of the relationships and the gameplay, not like... So I, I loved Not talking so with Rex and yes, Tali. Yes, Rex was cool and Tali and was Garrus. cool. Me too. The Those non romanceable yes. characters. It got so awkward <laughs> with the romanceable ones. It always yeah. did, every yeah. time. And it's like, I want to talk to you, but I, want, I don't want to like feel weird. <laughs> <laughs> and so sure. I'll just talk to these other guys. <laughs> oh, man. I agree. That's funny. Okay, so I want to go through some comments here, respond to some people. Because um, there were a couple of really good comments. Okay. And particularly um, on episode two or three. So let me skip ahead to this one here. Um, Chocolate Rob had a great comment regarding the Citadel Council scene the first time you go there. Oh, um, yeah. And their handling of the investigation with Saren. He made some really, really good points that I think are great criticisms of this scene. Let's see if I can find him here. So, Chocolate Rob says, um, the problem with Udina is that he's portrayed as an angry politician when his actual role is supposed to be an ambassador. These are not the same thing You're by a right. long shot. That's a good point. Very good point. Yes. Uh, whenever Udina wants something from the council, he shouts and screams in such a childish way that I don't get how players could ever think he's the natural choice at the end of the game. It's as, um, as if you always, or it's as you always say about showing and telling. They tell us that Odina is a great politician, but the game only ever shows us that he's screaming and is a petulant child. Yeah. His ideal of middle ground is you give me everything I want and you may get something out of it too. <laughs> um, you have a good point that all three humans at the trial were behaving poorly, but the council were also proving their incompetence throughout it. 
though right. they were showing it politely, of course. Now, this is the really good point here. The eyewitness account is entirely dismissed without examination, and there is also uh, how said testimony lines up with the state of Nihilus's body. So this is not something they ever talked about. Mm. The eyewitness says he was shot in the back of the head. If they actually examined Nihilus's body, they would see he was shot nearly point blank in the back of the head. Right, yeah. So this would align with, with the witness's the testimony. testimony and give credibility to what the witness is saying, mm. right? Um, the guy was shot point blank in the back of the head in an open-ish area, and he was uh, an extra elite soldier. So, like, he wouldn't... It's an open area. Point blank. He, he was back off of the head, his guard. Elite soldier. Yeah, clearly that sh that alone, which would have indicated yeah, that Saren, evidence. who was his, yeah, specter someone peer, close to him, yep. was was able to get him to stand down and then betrayed him, shot him in the back. Like that. That's yeah. so obvious when you really think about it. Like a, it an is, actual competent investigation would have said the eye, what the eyewitness here is saying aligns really well with right. the actual autopsy of the body. Was it known that Saren was there, or was that the only evidence? Was that one eyewitness? Was the eyewitness, and right. I guess, uh, yeah, that, that eyewitness saying that he saw uh, another Turian specter who Saren. was named Saren yeah. shot him. So you have one witness, but the witness's mm. testimony is very consistent with right. the autopsy. Yeah. Good, good point. And they don't, they don't consider this at all. It's no. just all dismissed. And I thought that that was a very, very good point. I wonder if that was their um, unreliance on humans, right? Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, there's one witness, but he was a human witness, so uh, we don't believe him. Um, let me just read some of the things he said here. Um, One more random note, I saw a conversation that I had not seen before. I had Rex in my party when doing the side quest to get the Turian general to stop causing trouble for the consort. And when we approached him, so this is, um, what was his name? Uh, for for um, Shaira's... Uh, oh, Shaira. Uh, the guy. Oh, that was, one, yeah, the general. At, at the general guy. Yes, yes, yes. Forget yeah. his name. Septimus or something like that. Mm. Um, I had Rex in my party when doing that side quest. Um, and when we approached him in Korra's den, there was an interaction that amused me greatly, as General Septimus and Rex did a routine famously attributed to Winston Churchill. Rex accuses him of being drunk, to which he replies, I may be drunk, Krogan, but you're ugly, and tomorrow I'll be sober. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's really funny. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. This game does have a couple moments like that yeah. where you kind of like laugh out loud. It's just very mm -hmm. witty and funny, yeah, I like think so, genuinely yeah. funny. I actually did the um, the path you were talking about on Novaria, where I was my um, renegade shepherd, where you're talking to the VI, like activate the neutron burst. He's oh, like, and he's What's like, the code? yes, and you, you like mumble <laughs> something. He's like, <laughs> I, that was so funny. And, and not only does it not work, but she's <laughs> yeah. like, she basically calls security to like come after <laughs> <Yes>. you. <laughs> freaking funny. Oh my gosh, oh, that was so great. Because those moments are pretty few in the game, but they're, yeah. they land well. Yeah, good stuff. Um, let me take a look at some of the comments from episode three to see if there's anything here, and then we'll look at four and then wrap up. Oh, here's a good one. Gaming with Spoons. Very good point here. 
He says, uh, the Rachni are very reminiscent of the buggers from Ender's Game. And I can't Ooh. help but feel they are heavily inspired by that race. Actually, that makes sense. From the mannerisms in which they communicate through hive mind to how the species as a whole evolved uh, uh, past desires of war, the scene in which Shepard speaks to the Rachni Queen gave off heavy vibes of the conversation Ender had with the Bugger Queen. That is very true. I really like Ender's Game. It's a great book. And um, I think there's a lot. There's really a lot of pretty transparent references to mm. other science fiction. I talked about that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, but there's, of course, um, uh, Babylon 5, um, like, which I have not seen. It's a show that I really should and yeah. need to get into. Um, but there's, there's some people who talk about you know, a lot of things that seem to have been lifted straight from there. There's this that seems to have been pretty much lifted from Ender's Game. So there's definitely a lot of um, borrowing going on in Mass Effect from other stuff. Oh, many Joe. This is an interesting point from Chocolate Rob. He says, the Batarians withdrew from the Citadel because of the humans being shown favor by the Council when expanding into the territory. So I didn't see that mm. when I was looking at the wiki. But apparently the Batarians, according to Chocolate Rob, maybe this is shown in a codex in one of the later games or something, or I don't know, I just didn't see it, but he's saying that the Batarians used to be part of the Citadel, but they withdrew once the humans were seeing as much favor as they were seeing. Oh, and this kind of aligns with, the, with this particular Batarian on the Asteroid X-56 side quest was so furious with humanity in general, just wanted revenge on humans. Mm -hmm. Like... Hmm. Just, anyways, and, and you hmm. can kind of go back and forth, and there's a little bit of a fog of war kind of a conversation there, like you right. shot first, no, you shot first kind of a thing, where the Batarians and the humans have a big rivalry. So apparently it was because of that that they withdrew from the Citadel. Interesting, okay. But he says the single best example of why humans are already so influential in the galactic community is probably Medijel, a human creation that should technically be illegal due to genetic engineering laws, but is just so useful that it's overlooked and is now used pretty much universally. Right. So apparently, I did remember that. Yeah. Medijel was a human invention or innovation, mm, nice. and so that's another reason why they're shown the favor that. They're and showing. everyone was like addicted to it, right? Yeah. So this was this was brought up by a couple of people, and I don't remember what we said specifically that seems to have given the impression. I must have misspoke in how I worded this. Um, but there were a couple of people who were saying the Salarians didn't alter the Krogan to be warlike. They were already warlike. Oh. And I just wanted to just clarify, yes, I know that. Okay. What I was saying is that the Krogan were elevated into the galactic society before because their culture warlike. could evolve to a point yeah. where they would be a more agreeable uh, species that could compromise and do yeah. politics better. <laughs> well, it would probably be that the Salarians exploited their warlike nature. Yes. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they made them more warlike, but right. they exploited that part it, of it. It was specifically because they were warlike that they yeah. were used as soldiers against the Ragnar. So yes, we're mm -hmm. aware that the Krogan were already that way. All I was saying was is that they, they gave them technology. They, they, they brought them out of their yeah. own star system Early. far before the Krogan would have found the mass relays on their own. Yeah. Far before the Krogan would, ha would have a cultural evolution right. that would have made them more ready 
to be a part of a galactic society like this. Be like lifting up humans from 10,000 years ago. Yeah, around. instead of instead waiting of for them to discover the mass relays on their yeah, yeah. own. So you so bring a bunch of cavemen out and you're it's like, because, hey, here's some guns. It's because of that that the Krogan were totally ungovernable and yeah. became a problem after the Rachna War ended. So that was just a consequence of violating the prime directive, we'll call the it. The prime right? directive. Sounds good. <laughs> okay, so this was brought up and... Uh, he, this is Blue Claws, says, regarding Benezia's death, it was more that your fight with her was fatal, not that she was, like, killing herself. So, like, she... she Are you sure? Are you so it's sure, like you though? fight, 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 and she's, like, already injured because... I do remember this. Okay. Shepard offers Medigel. He's like, I have uh, Medigel. I can administer it right now. Like, don't, you know, don't worry. If you go, I think, Paragon option in that mm. conversation. And she's like, she's like, basically saying no, like don't give me the medication because there is no forgiveness. Right, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But so she doesn't kill herself in the scene. She's she's already she fatally wounded from the gunfight okay. and denies the medijail. Sure, sure, okay. That made I, that did not come across at all. I, th- I, I it seemed like she just like <laughs> ah, like she, she just, did a thing. She, her but hand that, does. That would have just been the this animation. Little, this little motion. And it, that, that's what confused me. It looked like she was, like, um, using a biotic power to, like, snap her neck or something. But it's not punchy enough to, like, actually indicate that. It's just an awkward move. The animation's I, really I would bad. pin that on the animation, yeah. Not very clear. Oh, so uh, what, what Davey B. Jones 999 is saying here is that in basically every decision where there's a renegade paragon important decision, mm. the squad mates will take opposing positions and argue the merits of either choice. Okay. Um, which is something that I noticed. I, I never mm. uh, actually like took a note on it or brought it up. But it is interesting, like particularly with the Rachni Queen. It's like one of your squad mm. mates will say, destroying the Rachni Queen is the right choice because it's dangerous to leave them alive. Right. You have no idea how... And it changes as to who says which, depending on... Yeah, I guess who you bring with you and and probably what position they're in. This is kind of a trope of even JRPGs, right? It's like if you put this character in slot two, they'll say this thing. And this character in slot three, they'll say this thing. But if you were to reverse that, then they'll They'll say different different things. things. Yeah, that's Maybe it's something like that. Okay. But um, yeah, that is something that they tend to do. They tend to have your squad mates on the opposing, like arguing the merits of... Mm. the opposing decisions to sort of like inform you, which is kind of an interesting design choice, right? So it's about the Liara mission. You can actually decide to get Liara last, and if you do, it's really funny. First off, after every main mission, the game will push hard for you to go and get her because someone on the crew will be like, seems like we need Liara to decipher this information. We should go there next. And if you get her last, Liara thinks you're a hallucination and she'll keep making references about talking to figments of her imagination. Then the mission debrief is also really funny because your crew explains almost the entire plot of the game to her and she's really annoyed about missing everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's fine. That's fun. Okay, so let me just look at the last video here for any more comments and then we'll just wrap this up. Uh, this is the Jogs. I love how all the planets in Mass Effect 1 function like their, their own little movies. The political intrigue of Novaria followed by an alien-style bug hunt. The Lovecraftian mind-controlled dread of Pharos. 
the ancient exploration of the Liara dig site, etc. It feels like they could be little Flash Gordon serial episodes of their own. I agree sure. with that. Yeah, it's, I agree. It's a big part of what I like about yeah. the Western style RPG in general is they episodic feel a bit episodic like yeah, that totally. in their little side quests. Yeah, I agree. One thing I meant to say earlier, mm. you were talking about um, the awkwardness of the middle school drama of choosing yes, between yes. two love interests. Yes, I feel like The Witcher 3 did mm. a, a witty and better job of handling that yeah. because you can try romancing Triss and um, Yennefer if you want, oh, right. but it, but they find out because they're actually friends right. at the end of the game that you're doing this and they like invite you in to seduce you and then they just like fetch you like, <laughs> they like beat you up <laughs> or something. <laughs> they're like, and then you don't get either of them. You don't get so either. So it's like they, they kind of right. team up against you if you try to romance both at the same That's time. That's hilarious. Um, but a witcher trying to get with a girl is a lot different than, <laughs> it's a lot different than the general trying to get For with sure. the crew. Okay. Orc Brand is saying, I'm curious how Kason would experience playing a long game with a lot of consequential choices, like the recent Pathfinder CRPGs, Wrath of the Righteous especially. The FOMO would probably be torture. <laughs> you know, I have not heard of those games and I have no desire to play either of them based on what you just said, so. Davy Jones again here. Fun fact, there is another way to save Rex, but it's nearly impossible to stumble into it for a first time player. And even most people who have played the game multiple times before probably don't know that this scenario even exists. Hmm. So for background, in order for the game to function, you need at least two squad members to be available at all times. It is impossible to only have one squad member available to be selected in order to start a mission. Also, the mandatory squad members in the game are Ashley, Caden, Tally, Liara, and either Rex or Garrus, but not both, so it is not mandatory for you to recruit both Garrus and Rex. That's something I think I had said earlier. Was oh, like you, so you just don't recruit them. Apparently, you can not recruit one or the other or something. Hmm. If you go and collect Rex first, you can decline Garrus's attempt to join the crew. Interesting. If you do that and also decide to collect Liara last and start the Vermeyer mission before recruiting her, mm. it is impossible to kill Rex. In this scenario, you have only have four squad members to choose from, and because Ashley and Caden both leave your party during the mission, and the game needs at least two squad members to select in order to play the mission, Tally and Rex are now the only two possible choices so the game defaults to the scenario where Rex stands down and won't give you the options to kill him. Wow. That's crazy. That's fascinating. So you save Rex, but you sacrifice other characters. That's freaking crazy. You don't get Garrus. That's I guess, could you get him after the fact? Maybe not. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I, I, would, I don't know how anybody just in an, in an organic, natural playthrough mm. would like encounter that scenario. Yeah, that's But that's funny. crazy because you have to have two. And if you have, if you don't have Garrus and if you don't have Liara, yeah. you have to have yeah. Rex and Tali because Caden and Ashley leave. Oh, that's funny. That's wild, dude. Thank you for uh, for bringing that up. Yeah, thank that's you. good to know. I might try that in my next playthrough just to see. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says, "So this is Orc Brand. You touch on a theme that is explored somewhat in Xenosaga Episode One: the drug that cures psychopathy." and the effects yeah. that it may have on a person who reflects on their psychopathic behavior after taking the drug. This is a plot point in the arc of Andrew Cherenkov, who is a bit of a Ramses homage. 
Hmm. I'm going to save that comment because I haven't played Xenosaga, but that's interesting to know. I'll keep that in mind when I play the game eventually. Um, David Sex, Sex, I, I have a hard time with this one. It's S Z A K S. Shocks? That yeah. sounds Polish. It, it does sound Polish. I think it, I think it might be. Hmm. Don't know if you guys were able to get to the Rogue, uh, I guess it's not VI, but Rogue 6 side mission on Luna, but thought I would mention it since you guys didn't talk about it. It's a pretty straightforward mission overall, but it does have a neat little message at the end if you care to take the time to decode it. But most notably, it unlocks the prestige classes for Commander Shepard. You did oh. the Luna mission, right? Yeah. Yeah, so like I didn't, I didn't realize, on my first playthrough, I did this very, very late in the game. So I was mm -hmm. like, oh, Maybe I just gained enough experience to have like unlocked the prestige classes or something like that. Oh yeah. But then on my Renegade playthrough, I went and did it like first, and it's like, oh, it's just literally this mission unlocks your prestige. I could have done this oh. way earlier <laughs> on the other <laughs> run. So yeah, that's, that's how funny. you get to the prestige classes. Is you got to do the the Rogue Six side mission on the moon on Earth's moon. Well, that's that's clever that they would have put it there because that's a place most people will want to go. That's like the place people will definitely visit mm -hmm. when they play this game. Oh, this is something to bring up. Gloating Swine says each background has a tie-in to one side quest in the game. If I remember correctly, the quests are always present. You just get different dialogue and options based on your background. So. All the little quests that involve the character's psychological profile yeah. and like stuff you chose mm -hmm. at the beginning of the game, they're always there, so you can do them all. It's wow. just that the, the, the tie-in to the character's background will be present in the dialogue based on which one Only you actually for those ones. chose. Okay, cool. But you yeah. can still do all of them. Oh, okay, right? that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. We'll just leave it at that for now, but that'll be it for our Mass Effect analysis. Thank you for those of you who joined us. wasn't nearly as many as um, on some of the past ones. Understandable. People yeah, really sure. like JRPGs on this channel, but I just needed a break. I feel yeah. like I've had that break, yeah. and I'm good to jump into Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, now. I'm eager too. Um, so yeah, I should let people know where to play up to. Um, oh. We're going to take a little bit larger chunks than we did on Xenogears. Xenogears, good. Um, my <coughs> plan is to do eight episodes okay. for... Um, for Final Fantasy Tactics. And I know a lot of people, because there was at least one person who was like, there's definitely going to be at least 20 episodes just like with uh, Xenogears. No, there won't be because I won't allow it. We won't let that happen again. <laughs> but also I don't think it's really necessary. Um, yeah, Xenogears just had too much additional peripheral stuff to talk yeah, about. Yeah, there's not quite as much <clears throat> of that sort of thing yeah. to bring into it. And so the conversation won't be nearly as dense. Um, okay, I figured it out. So, play up through the Thieves' Fort battle. Do all of the cutscenes at Igro's castle after that, up to the Linalia Plateau. So, right as you get to the point where you can go to Linalia Plateau for that mission, mm -hmm. stop there. So, the last <coughs> battle you will fight will be the Thieves' Port, but watch all the cutscenes at Igros Castle and Mandalia Plains after that, I believe, where there's a scene with Delita. Get all the way through that and then stop at Lanalia Plateau. That is where you should play up to for Final Fantasy Tactics. I don't know how far we will get because we'll be doing dev history. No, oh, my yeah. plan <clears throat> is to do dev history and up to that point, but we okay. may have to split that into another episode, which might make 
the series a nine episode series instead of an eight episode series. Sure, sure. But we'll see. But that's the plan. So play up to there. See you guys next week. Thank you for your support. Uh, peace out. See you next time. <laughs>